We got multiple Joes on the show today. Joe Rogan is in the news again and in hot water this time for using the N-word. Joe Biden continues to send the economy in a downward spiral as we create record levels of debt. And then finally, we'll just look at the question, what is the biggest threat facing America right now? And if you get the sense that you don't know how much longer we got, you have to ask the question, what will be the straw that breaks the camel's back? We'll talk about that and more on Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman today. You're about to make the jump from the echo chamber into free and independent thought on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Hey guys, thanks so much for watching the show today. Don't forget to like, share, and spread that love with other people. If this was informative to you, then it will be formative to them as well. And then go one step further and you can become a subscriber, which will make you the luckiest person on the planet. Now, today's show is going to be dedicated to kind of talking about this creeping sense of I don't want to say fear, but creeping sense of wonder. I'll say more than anything as to what will be the thing that causes America's downfall? Are we close to that? There's many who, uh, including myself, start to wonder about the pace in which we're going and the unraveling of, of our society and whether or not we're, we may be close to the end of this American experiment or at least what will be the thing that, that causes the end of it. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that today. So if you felt like that, this is going to be a great show for you, or at least if you just wonder where we're headed as a nation if things keep on going at pace. That's what we'll be talking about. Before we jump into that, I want to make sure that you know that this episode of Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman is sponsored by the Kevin Blair team over at Element Funding. So these guys are great supporters of the show. They have really kind of been around since the beginning and uh, more than that, more than just being a friend of the show and a supporter of the show, they sincerely really have a great business. Um, I help these guys out with their their podcast as well, which is a great show if you're interested in what's going on in the mortgage industry. But, uh, but nonetheless, I listen to these guys all the time. And uh, the things that they share, the way that they do business, the way that they take care of customers is, is top notch. They do things differently than other companies so that you don't have any surprises. They're not interested in just pumping you through the system so that they can get more money in their bank accounts. They actually care about you. They want to make sure that you are truly qualified to, uh, to get a new home. And, and, and so I'll just give it to you like this. Uh, I got a letter in the mail from my bank where I do most of my banking, and they told me how much I could qualify for, what my interest rate would be, and what my monthly payment would be. And they didn't have to ask any questions whatsoever to actually get those figures. Now, of course, there's a huge problem with that. First of all, they have no idea about my DTI. They don't know if I can qualify for that interest rate. They gave me the lowest interest rate possible. They have no understanding of my credit score. Um, what they did is they just simply tried to entice me and bring me in by giving me a number figure. Well, that is one thing that Element Funding will not do. They will not lie to you to try to bring you in and get your service. What they're interested in doing is trying to help you as a customer know what you can afford. So you need to go check them out if you're at all interested in purchasing a home. Um, and whether or not you live in this area, they can help you find a place where you can get a great mortgage company to give you not only a great rate, but also also class A customer service. So you need to check these guys out. Go to KevinBlairTeam.com today. Drones, natural disasters, climate change, global pandemics. There is probably this kind of sense in the ether that uh, things are not going like they should be. And uh, even in America here, we're wondering, are our best days behind us? I've never felt like this in, in all my life, but it sure seems that there is this increasing sense of fear of, of a threat that may affect us. But it might come as a surprise to us that the real threat to America probably is not going to be anything external. Now, of course, it could be. You know, we think about China, Russia, global wars that could break out, and even the island nation of Nauru. Look it up. Could be the biggest threat to us, but somehow I cannot help but wonder if the biggest threat is something way closer to, to home. And because I love drawn out analogies, I'm going to tell you one here. One of my favorite stories, at least in the Greek pantheon or the Greek um, 
mythology side of things is Oedipus the King. So now I'm going to take you way, way back to high school, which is probably where you first came into contact with this story. But Oedipus the King is a story about the King of Thebes, a guy named Oedipus. And there's a plague in the land and he wants to know why. And so he sends somebody to the Oracle of Delphi. They come back and they tell him, hey, there's a plague in the land because there's a murderer in your midst. Whoever murdered the king before you, Oedipus, that's the guy that we have to find. He's in the kingdom somewhere, and he's the reason this plague is upon us. So the gods are cursing us until we find this enemy and we take care of him. Well, a prophet will come along and uh, and talk to Oedipus, and Oedipus will say, tell me who this, who this guy is, who is the murderer, so that we can take care of this plague. I'm a benevolent king. I want to help my people, and people are suffering. And so the prophet will go along and say, you don't really want to know who the murderer is. You don't want to know who the guy is who killed the, the king before you. And he'll say, well, of course I do. I need to know. And he'll say, well, Oedipus, it's actually you. Thou art the man, which is a biblical reference, also a great story. And long story short, Oedipus will find out that he was actually adopted um, and that when he got uh, a little bit older, there was a guy that he did kill, but he didn't think it was a king because this person was in disguise, but it was indeed the king of Thebes. And the reason that Oedipus was adopted in the first place because the former king of Thebes had a prophecy given to him that his son would kill him. So he said, take my baby, go get rid of him and kill him. And that same prophet that prophesied to Oedipus takes the baby, but doesn't want to kill the baby. So he just takes him far, far away, gives him up for adoption and thinks to himself, well, you know, we've, we've probably sidestepped this prophecy because this child's not going to go anywhere near his father, the king of Thebes. He'll never know that that's his dad. And uh, so we're going to give him up for adoption. But of course, as I already said, uh, Oedipus will finally grow up and eventually will kill his father, but he will not know that it's his father when he does it. And so now we fast forward back to Oedipus in the present when he finally realizes that the guy that he killed so, so long ago wasn't just some highwayman or some guy on the road that was doing um, unjust things, but that it was actually his father and that the woman that he is married to, which was the former queen and, yes, his mother, when he realizes all of this craziness— he will go through the drastic step of taking his fingers, plunging them into his eye sockets, and ripping his eyes out. Now, as gruesome and grotesque as that may be, and of course, if you're a horror lover, then you don't care too, too much about that. That was probably rated G for you. But as gruesome and grotesque as that may be, it's actually an incredibly poetic sign of, 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 of a truism that I think we need to consider. That the gravest enemy and the biggest enemy may be us ourselves, and we are so blind very often to this enemy because it is way easier maybe to point the finger at something else or to look at something external and forget that the enemy is within us. So here's a small checklist that I hope proves the point that we can be our own worst enemy. So this is kind of you can check mark these things and ask yourself, are these happening in a society? Because they serve as kind of indications that a society is slowly but surely on its last leg. And so the first one is this, a lack of desire to reproduce itself. So when you start villainizing a society, when you start villainizing its uh, foundings and you start villainizing it as white supremacist and patriarchal and oppressive and we need to learn something from everybody else outside of us in, in different nations, but we ourselves, we are evil and we don't want to shove our opinion down other people's throats. Uh, when we start upon that road and when we abolish along with it things like borders and we say, well, those are just imaginary lines that people drew and, and we, we need to have open doors, not closed fences. And we don't need to be teaching people that come into our country what it means to be an American. They need to be teaching us about what it means to be a, a human. And they, they use all of these platitudes, right, to try to undermine the the American experiment or the exceptional things that America has created, which again has been uh, partially, if not largely responsible for alleviating poverty, for alleviating starvation at record levels around the world. Now, and, and let me just also say ensuring uh, civil liberties and freedoms that 
we now take for granted. Like, this is how we can call ourselves white supremacist and oppressive and all of those things, is because we don't understand history at all. America has absolutely shaped the known world. And this is why. It's not just about simply being a, 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 a patriot. This is about objective fact. America has created a better world for all of us. But when we stop seeing that and we're more interested in in beating up, you know, um, America as we would perhaps our parents and rebelling against them, it's an institution of, of a downward spiral in society. So here, here's another one, erosion of social institutions. So you just, you tell me, is that happening in, in education, whether it be public or most importantly, in the universities where we have people right now who uh, at Georgetown in specifically are asking for rooms to cry in because of an individual who was taking exception to the fact that Joe Biden said that they were trying to find uh, the uh, a black woman to fill the Supreme Court uh, justice of the United States uh, vacancy that's coming up. Uh, so he just simply said that we need to find the most qualified person. And of course, everybody twisted that to say that black women... Uh, you're saying aren't qualified, which is, of course, not what he was saying. And so this was a Georgetown University professor. And so uh, they had a huge meeting to talk about how disappointed and how hurt everybody was at Georgetown. And again, they were asking for rooms to cry in. So this is what is happening in the academy and universities. And you can go to places like Pew Research and Gallup, and you can also see the kind of the numbers of professors and teachers in the university system that are left-leaning or right-leaning. And you'll find that over 60% lean to the left and about 3% classify themselves as conservative. And so the point is, is that ideological diversity on the American institution, institutional level in the university and the academy, ideological diversity is absolutely dead. Uh, they, they simply seem to be, at least in some places, uh, they seem to be indoctrination factories for leftist ideology, if not cultural Marxism. Not to mention the idea that in the public school system, we're teaching children comprehensive sex education, fourth graders, that it's absolutely reasonable if you're a boy to come wearing a dress to school. So there is the erosion of social institutions that we see right before our very eyes, and not, not the least of which concerns me, which is the church. When the church is being used as puppets for the government to try to emphasize that if you get a vaccine, then that's the best way to love your neighbor. Like, what are we talking about? We still have Bibles, for crying out loud. Not to mention just the, the, the dismantling of traditional roles in society that the church used to be at the forefront of protecting. Now they're more interested in being welcoming and affirming rather than uh, extolling and appreciating the traditional role of marriage in a society. For ages and generations outside of America and within America as well, and traditional roles like the role of a husband and a wife in traditional marriage, if we're just going to totally throw those out without any regard to what their social good has has created, then ultimately what we're doing is we're just saying we don't care about the consequences. We want to feel better about ourselves. And that kind of erosion of social institutions cannot help but bring a repercussion. And it's wise to ask what that repercussion may be. And there are people like Douglas Murray who think that that kind of thing is the last moments before society finally destroys itself, when it starts to, the social fabric of a society starts to unravel. And we're seeing that before our very eyes. And then finally, I'll say this, uh, and there's certainly more, but uh, on the checklist, villainization of the good. When we start saying that that which is good is evil, kind of what I already alluded to, that traditional marriage and traditional gender roles, that those aren't good, this is good. Um, when, we start, when we start unraveling those things and calling those things which we used to understand as good evil, we're, we're close to the end. Uh, if we cannot tell the difference between right and wrong anymore, we are close to the end. And now, far be it for me to suggest that that's anything relatively new for us. We've been relativizing morality for the longest time. The academy is certainly a place where postmodernism has absolutely taught us to use the words "my truth" is as a socially acceptable reality, instead of understanding that to be a total fabrication of reality. There is no such thing as my truth. There is the truth and the lies. 
But of course, we're living in a society that right now wants to villainize good to the point where here's a good way of in, of testing whether or not I'm right about this. To the point where when we make moral assertions that in past generations have been just obvious, we are so concerned with what people may think about us. We are so concerned about how we will be interpreted. And, and, the, and the thing that we don't want to be called more than anything is to be called a bigot because we may just be standing up for some objective reality and some objective truth. But of course, the left is so good at calling anything racist that they dislike. So if any of that rings a bell, perhaps the greatest threat to our sovereignty as a nation is and always has been the cannibalization that is taking place in society right now. The cannibalization of society where we eat each other alive assuring mutual destruction in the process. Surely this is a sign that we're nearing the end of our society. When we are far more concerned about Joe Rogan and what he does on his podcast than we are China or Russia, tell me we are not close to the end. In order that we can stop treating each other as the sum total of our collective worst moments, I suggest we start paying attention to the things that really matter. Or else we're going to prove Laird Hamilton right when he said that the person that is our own worst enemy sometimes lives between our own two ears. So here is some headlines that prove for a fact that we are cannibalizing each other and that we may be our own worst enemy and that our decadence may be the death of us all. So it should come as no surprise to us that our government is not fiscally conservative nor fiscally responsible, that they spend money because they got a printing press in Washington, D.C. and truly believe that it grows on trees. It's okay. They don't believe a baby in the womb is a baby, and they also believe a man can be a woman. But nonetheless, for all of us who know better than to get a credit card to pay off a credit card, it should come as no surprise to you that our government does not know any better and they are spiraling us toward a debt crisis in the midst of this pandemic. So of course, there needed to be some infusion of cash because the government shut everybody down. However, that is not happening in a responsible way in the least, and not the least of which is what I just read to you in that Yahoo Finance article. So let me give you some more figures here. We are in debt $30 trillion dollars in climbing right now. How about this? Instead of castigating, castigating Elon Musk for being so rich, how about we say something about our government and how stupid they are with money? Our soaring national debt is the biggest crisis to national security perhaps right now than anything else. And this is not according to me. This is according to the Brookings Institute. Quote, the United States has been running trillion dollar deficits, resulting in a huge explosion in the country's indebtedness. Publicly held debt now equals 70% of the gross domestic product of America, a threshold many economists consider significant and highly worrisome. Uh, yeah. Now, 70%, because we're going to come back to that. Keep that in mind. So making matters worse, half of our current deficit financing is being provided by foreigners. We are getting by with low interest rates and tolerable levels of domestic investment only because they find U.S. debt attractive which may not always last. And this is specifically as we continue to run up debt, they may not want to give us money. And then, quote, according to the Nonpartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, President Obama's long-term budget plan would allow pu publicly held debt as a fraction of GDP to rise further up to 75% within a decade. Now, again, this was back in 2012, and this was according to the, um, to the Brookings Institute. So they had to pass something and discuss uh, the, the idea of allowing us to get to 75% of our gross domestic product being debt. So that that was written in 2000 and uh, excuse me that was written in 2010. I think I said 2012. That was 2010. So guess where our GDP went a decade later. So 10 years later, we're at 133% of our gross domestic product now is debt. This puts us close to the notoriously bad Greece, which is at 174% debt to GDP ratio. So now, according to CNN Business, total public debt outstanding is now above $30 trillion, and according to the Treasury Department data published Tuesday, government borrowing accelerated during the COVID-19 pandemic as Washington spent aggressively to cushion the economic blow from the crisis. 
The national debt has surged by about $7 trillion since the end of 2019. So if you remember, $7 trillion was what uh, Obama did um, in his presidency, and we've done that just since the beginning of the pandemic. So it's impossible to know how much debt is too much. And economists remain divided over how big of a problem this reality is. But the latest debt milestone comes at a delicate time as borrowing costs are expected to rise even higher. That's why I need to go check our people over at Element Funding now before it gets too late. Because interest costs alone are projected to surpass $5 trillion over the next 10 years and will amount to nearly half of all federal revenue by 2051 according to the Peter G. Peterson Foundation. Now, now let me give you some back figures so that you can understand this and kind of have something to gauge this by. So the not-so-odd thing is that Bush was a big spender. Everybody knows this, notoriously so. And he saw the debt go up from $2 trillion to $9 trillion during his presidency. And it was under Obama that it took us from 106 in 2012 in debt, trillion in debt, Towards the end of his presidency, which soared to $18 trillion, placing us over 100% debt-to-GDP ratio. Now, in the midst of another democratic regime, spending has soared, and we may see that GDP number go up to the 150s. Now, that is obscene. The real problem is that there is only two, way out of, two ways out of this. Either we crash and burn, or we start spending responsibly. Now, which do you think is more likely to happen? Right now, national debt represents one of our gravest domestic threats. And if people call in their debts, which they may not, it's not in their interest to do it at this point in time, but if China alone called in their debts to America, it would absolutely destroy us as a nation. Now, that represents an external threat, and more than likely, they're not going to do it. But before they did it, wouldn't it be awesome if we actually treated the United States government as a responsible entity rather than a teenage petulant child, which continues to spend more than it could possibly ever make. So if we continue down this road, I think it's inevitable that we're going to have to ask the question, how much debt is too much and when will we finally get to the bottom of the barrel where it's too late to even ask the question anymore? All right, let's jump into the next headline. So you may know that Joe Rogan's in hot water again, and he has come out to apologize for saying the N-word repeatedly in the past. And this comes right now as Spotify's uh, price is dropping exponentially. So right now, Spotify has canceled 113 episodes of Joe Rogan. They are actively and aggressively trying to censor Joe Rogan right now, and anything that they may take issue with, uh, those episodes are gone. So his most recent controversy is that um, a singer who I've never heard of in my life named India, and I'm not even going to pronounce her last name because I'm going to mess it up, but nonetheless, she posted a compilation of Joe Rogan saying the N-word on his podcast in, in the past, and now he has come out and apologized for doing so. Now, this takes us back to asking the real question here. Why do we insist on trying to destroy each other? Again, we're more interested about the fact that Joe Rogan said the N-word 12 years ago. And by the way, if you look at the clips yourself, you'll see that this was totally taken out of context. We're more interested in that than that the Chinese government is dragging reporters off of television and that Nancy Pelosi is warning us not to speak out against the Chinese or warning uh, the athletes over at the Olympics right now not to speak out against the Chinese because, hey, well, you know, what's going to happen? They're going to throw you in prison. Uh, so we're not in interested and worried about these civil rights violators while millions of Uyghur Muslims are imprisoned by the Chinese. What we're actually worried about is we're worried about what Joe Rogan said 12 years ago. Now, if this isn't the ultimate of decadence and the ultimate of stupidity, I don't know what is? But there's just a couple of points to talk about here real quick. And some of this may be controversial. I hope it's not because it's just simple logic here, at least as far as I can tell. But the question is, should there be a word that one race of people just absolutely cannot use? Um, of course, the other races can absolutely use that word, but one race of people are absolutely not allowed to use that word. And, and it brings up the question. 
should we have this double standard in society of using the word? I don't think we should use the word period. But I'm not positive, one, that just because Joe Rose, Rogan used it 12 years ago that he's an out-and-out out racist. By the way, again, when he used it, they're totally taking it out of context. He's not using the word flippantly to just paint all black people with an epithet. He, he's, he's using the word in jest, and he's using it in a joking manner. Now, I'll be the first to admit, not very funny, not good use of the word. However... To continually try to double down on Joe Rogan and to get rid of him because he used this word so long ago, I'm not sure that I agree with that. And so I right now hear in the back of my head, I hear the leftists saying, well, what about you conservatives and trying to get Whoopi Goldberg fired? Listen, I, I, we're not trying to get Whoopi fired. Whoopi is firing herself. She says that she doesn't want to come back because she actually had to reap the consequences for the things that she's been advocating for for the longest time. And so I'm going to join uh, Shapiro on this one and just say this. I believe you should be able to say what you want as ignorant and as stupid as it is because that is basically what The View does. That is their whole business plan is to say stupid things and then to pretend as though they've said something relevant and useful. I think they should be able to say whatever they want to on their show, no matter how dumb it is, and then let the public decide personally. I think these joint you know, team-up attacks to try to get rid of people are absolutely ridiculous, unless you yourself have called out for people to be canceled. Well, then I think you deserve to reap the consequences for the reality that you've been trying to oppose up impose upon people forever. Otherwise, I think we should probably just step back and realize this. When when we point a finger at somebody else, we've got three more pointing back at us. And we have a full-time job taking care of ourselves. And maybe we should listen to what Jesus said and in taking the first stone to throw it at other people. Yeah, sure. You take up that stone and you go and attack other people, but make sure that you've never said anything that you regret before you do that. So I, I think Spotify is being ridiculous here by eliminating episodes that they don't like because right now they're dangerously close, if not already close, to feeding the alligator. And these people are not after, and this is probably the biggest point here, these people are not after Joe Rogan because he said the N-word. I really don't think they are. Because you'll see that there are no amount of episodes that are enough to get rid of for these people to be pacified. It'll never be enough. It's like feeding the baby alligator, as we always say. You kept on feeding it and feeding it, hoping it wouldn't eat you until one day it got big enough to destroy you and eat you, and it finally, eventually will. I, I want to just throw in this, this clip here because, because I think that this is something we need to realize. This is Robert Downey Jr. Jr. way back in the day saying something, uh, defending, if you will, um, saying something about Mel Gibson and about the way in which Hollywood tried to absolutely destroy Mel Gibson's livelihood in life. Um, I think we could return to kind of this, this sentiment in terms of the way we treat other people when they do things that they're not proud of. Um, so check this out. Actually, I asked Mel to present uh, this award to me for a reason, because when I couldn't get sober, he told me not to give up hope and he urged me to find my faith. Didn't have to be his or anyone else's as long as it was rooted in forgiveness. And I couldn't get hired, so he cast me in the lead of a movie that was actually developed for him, and he kept a roof over my head, and he kept food on the table. And most importantly, he said that if I accepted responsibility for my wrongdoings, and if I embraced that part of my soul that was ugly, uh, hugging the cactus, he calls it, he said that if I hugged the cactus long enough, I'd become a man of some humility, and that my life would take on a new meaning. And I did, and it worked. Um, all he asked in return was that uh, someday I help the next guy in some small way. Uh, it's reasonable to assume that at the time he didn't imagine the next guy would be him. <laughs> or that someday was tonight. So anyway, on this special occasion, and in light of the recent holidays, including Columbus Day, I humbly ask that you join me, unless you are completely without sin, in which case you picked the wrong f***ing industry. 
in forgiving my friend his trespasses, offering him the same clean slate you have me, and allowing him to continue his great and ongoing contribution to our collective art without shame. He's hugged the cactus long enough. So I'm gonna make a humble suggestion here. If we're not willing to kiss the cactus, embrace the cactus, it's probably because there's something else going on. But I think we all know what this is about. This is not actually because people believe Joe Rogan is really a racist or that he was using that word with racist intent rather than what he was actually doing, which was reading rap lyrics and, and other things. And the fact that he's that he's a comedian and comedians say ridiculous things and outrageous things all the time. Now, if you're a dishonest person, you can say, well, that's just an excuse. But, but I mean, he called Caitlyn Jenner a, a gargoyle. So needless to say, this really isn't about the N-word after all, because, because after all, he is friends with a black comedian that is the biggest N-word sayer per capita probably than any other person on the planet, and that's Dave Chappelle, of course. Uh, the dude loves the N-word. This is really all about jealousy because the left believes that we're living in this zero-sum game where there's only so much of the of the pie so those who are at the top of the 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 hierarchy need to be knocked off and need to be destroyed so that they can share the pie with other people this is really all about people who at a time when social media supposedly is supposed to make you the greatest thing since sliced bread and and I don't even think sliced bread's that great, but nonetheless, the greatest thing since sliced bread, and you're supposed to be able to uh, be popular just with with a singular post, and just because you post your podcast on on any number of networks, you have the opportunity to be great because there's no gatekeepers. Well, then you find yourself not being all that great, and you think, well, it couldn't be because I'm actually not as great as I think I am. It must be because Joe Rogan is stealing the pie from the rest of us. Therefore, we have to kill Joe Rogan vis-a-vis, -vis, knock him off the top of the hierarchy so that the lion's share of those people who are listening to his podcast, he can share that with the rest of us. All the while, they fail to recognize the simple fact that they're listening to Joe Rogan because they want to listen to Joe Rogan and they're not listening to you because they don't want to listen to you. So at the end of the day, this is really just simply all about jealousy and people who are jealous that Joe Rogan is so powerful. He's the biggest and the most powerful podcaster in the nation and people want to, people want what he's got and they're not willing to work for it. So they're willing to, to kill him to get it. That's what this is really about at the end of the day. So this is dishonest and I don't know if you are an honest person, how you can actually how you can actually defend this uh, this move or in any way find what's happening conscionable. So I hope you're like me and I hope you're done with this wannabe protest generation who treats protests and activism like cutting. They do it so that they can feel alive and feel like they matter. They're not desperate for change. They're desperate to be noticed and jealous of anybody else who may be more noticed than them. All right, let's move on to our final headline for the day. And let's talk about some human decency. So a teen who runs Twitter account tracking Elon Musk's private jet rejects the offer for a free Tesla to delete that account. So what this young man is doing is he's got a Twitter account and it actually tracks the private jet of Elon Musk. And it shows wherever he's going. And Elon Musk has said, I'll give you 3,000 bucks. I'll give you, you know, a short-term uh, lease of a Tesla. And he's denied that and he's continued to have this Twitter account while being praised by the media. Now, the problem with this is that what this man is doing, this young young man is doing, it's, it's called doxing. And it's actually a federal crime. But uh, when you do it against Elon Musk, I guess you're a hero. So uh, as long as you're doing it to people we don't like, we're absolutely for you because we no longer have standard morals. So this is the same thing with the Whoopi and the Joe Rogan thing. Thank God Jesus's words are true, and you do reap what you sow. But uh, you can just cancel anybody, but of course, when it happens to you, you don't like it so much. The hypocrisy of things like this Twitter account are at face value. The satisfaction of the death of our enemies is a sign that we no longer understand real suffering and real pain because we are such a spoiled, rotten generation. So when we get that insulated and spoiled, that we are ready to dox another individual or to put the whereabouts of their private jet so that they can be followed by who knows what. It's clear that we are 
very close to the end of civilization as we know it, and certainly close to the end of civility as we know it. So suffice to say, I think here's what we can work hard on doing if we care about being good people, and that's yet to be seen, I suppose, is we can work hard on leaving other people alone. If you want to get vaccinated or you don't want to get vaccinated, perhaps that's none of your business. If you want to go around wearing a cloth mask that the CDC and the WHO has already said are not effective for fighting COVID, that's your prerogative. But don't force other people to do it. If you want to social distance and you don't want churches to be open and you don't think that they should be allowed to do what they're doing, fine. You don't have to go to church. You can watch it from home. But guess what we're going to do? We're going to go to church. This, this idea that we need to leave each other alone, what I don't mean to say is this, is that we don't need to be active in fighting against injustice. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that we don't even know what injustice is anymore, and this is why we're at each other's throats constantly. I can't help but wonder if this is just simply because we don't have any standard of morality anymore because we've said that's a bad thing. We're villainizing good things, and because of it, now we're reaping the consequences of it. We don't know what good is anymore, so now it's good when a young man puts Elon Musk's jet location um, on Twitter, and, and it's absolutely bad for a mother to be able to say what books her kids can read in in elementary school. Our world is topsy-turvy, and it is simply, objectively, because we don't understand objectivity anymore. We don't understand objective truth anymore. We no longer have a standard of morals. So I would suggest maybe we go back to the days where the church had at least some say-so in society as to what was good so that we don't continue to try to cut each other's throats. Now, I know we haven't always been the best of that, but I'm just going to tell you, um, we have, going on in society today, a modern-day Salem witch trial. We have a witch hunt every other news cycle where we're trying to kill people who disagree with us. And yes, you may say, Christians were the originators of these things, but it wasn't because that they were standing up on moral principles. Okay, so here's what I'm saying, is that the left is portraying a tendency that, yes, Christians, perhaps you could classify them on the right, in the past have portrayed. So here's the point, is it's not a Christian thing that's calling, causing us to burn witches at the stake. It doesn't, you don't need Christianity for that. All you need is a human instinct and an enemy. This is something that, that comes natural to us. There's only one equalizer, in my opinion biblical morality or a standard of morality that we can agree upon. But long ago, we've said that that's a bad thing and we need to get rid of that. And that's evil. And you shouldn't impose that upon other people. Well, in the meantime, we're cutting each other's throats and cannibalizing each other and putting Elon Musk's private jet whereabouts on Twitter for the whole world to see. And if you think we're better off today as a result of that, then I don't know what to tell you. All right, let's jump into our last segment, Christianity Not Today. So I bring you to a story from the Daily Wire, and it says this. The federal government used evangelical leaders to spread COVID propaganda to churches. Now, that's a bold statement, but I want to go ahead and read to you some of this story so that you can see who are kind of some of the people involved. So it says this. In September, Wheaton College Dean Ed Setzer interviewed National Institutes of Health Director Francis Collins on his podcast, Church Leadership, about why Christians who want to obey Christ's command to love their neighbor should get the COVID vaccine and avoid indulging in misinformation. For those of you who don't know who Francis Collins is, maybe you'll remember this fantastic ditty he sang for us, this rendition of Over the Rainbow. Here's a little bit of that. Somewhere past the pandemic When we're free there's a life I remember, full of activity. And I'm going to give it to you one more time just because it's so delightful. No more need for a nose swab every time we cough. Francis Collins is the guy that actually also mapped the human genome, one of the first to do it, and uh, is an outspoken Christian. And so he was on Ed Setzer's podcast. Now, for those of you who don't know who Ed Setzer is, um, and you find yourself scratching your head to wonder how a man who is supposedly a church leadership guru 
comes away with this incredible fabricated interpretation of scripture, let me help you try to understand the argument here. So Ed Setzer essentially is doing this, and I'm going to try to steel man this to the best of my ability. Ed Setzer is essentially grabbing a, a, a text of scripture, you love your neighbor, right? And then he's saying this, kind of a syllogistic argument. He's saying, A, your neighbor is anybody in the global community. And then B, to love your neighbor is to be mindful and to care about whatever behaviors may directly or indirectly impact those people who are in the global community. And then therefore, C, that means you must get a vaccine because there's there's a chance that you could perhaps spread COVID. Now, that's as charitable as I can possibly be for what Ed Setzer's really after here is to, to say that the COVID vaccine is loving your neighbor as Jesus said it in, in its original context, um, which, of course, this is not only seems ridiculous, it is absolutely ridiculous. And let me tell you why. First of all, because this story comes on the heels of Jesus being asked, well, who is my neighbor? And then Jesus clearly tells through the parable of the Good Samaritan, which most of you will be aware of, about a guy that's beaten up by some thieves and robbers and people ignore him, except for one guy who is a good Samaritan. He comes by and he helps this person out, and then he'll take this person to a hotel, pay for it, and take care of this this guy who needed help. Whereas other religious people passed by on the other side and, and refused to help. So these this is simply a story about helping those who have been cast out by society or helping those who have been ostracized. So this Good Samaritan story, obviously, too, is, is not just about the guy that was beaten up. It's about the Good Samaritan himself, who was, in the, in the eyes of the Jews at the time, seen as somebody who was lesser than, than them because of, his, because of his ethnic and uh, racial identity and maybe even his religious identity. So these are people who are ostracized. And so he's saying, your neighbor is the person who, who is the one you would least expect, maybe the person that you would, you would cast out of society. So it's, it's already clear here that Ed Setzer's stretching the verse a little bit more. But then also, too, it's important to understand that, yes, the verse is talking about helping those who are in need. So maybe you even think to yourself when you talk about those who are ostracized and those who are in need, maybe you think about the homeless community or something like that. But the one thing you don't really think about is people who are capable of contracting COVID. It's absolutely a propagandist take to to conclude that if you are unvaccinated, well, then you don't care about your neighbor. So this totally doesn't take into con- into account the data and what's actually happening on the ground. So let me just be really, really careful with you here and just say this, that an ethical Christian looks at scripture, interprets in its original historical context, also taking into account data on the ground, objective realities, objective fact, and then tries to come up with as ethical and as honest an interpretation of scripture as possible. And so if you were to truly do that where it concerns COVID, then you would have to look at the fact that if you are vaccinated, there is a strong likelihood, according to the CDC and the WHO, that you will still get Omicron. And then you would also look at the facts on the ground that natural immunity is better than vaccine immunity. So I'll tell you what, Ed Setzer, I will take your vaccine immunity, I'll see your vaccine immunity, and I'll raise you with my natural immunity and tell you that I'm loving my neighbor more than you are. But of course, the point is that this has nothing to do with truly loving our neighbor or the fact that we just don't care about our neighbor or we're not loving Christians or we're disobeying scripture if we don't get vaccinated. What this is really about is Ed Setzer needing to probably apologize so that he can get somebody like Francis Collins on his podcast and to just do a little bit of this, the old rubbing of the halo, so that he can just shine it up a little bit and polish it and virtue signal to everybody who sees the halo so that he can 
so that he can virtue signal to all of those who are listening and say, hey, I'm not a COVID denier. I mean, look, we, we Christians, we, we'll listen to what's going on in society and we'll toe the line and we'll do what everybody says to be a good person you have to do. Um, so, so, hey, we'll distance ourselves from people like Joe Rogan and we'll distance ourselves from the facts on the ground. We'll distance ourselves even from an, inter- a, an interpretation of scripture that actually makes sense because what we need to do is we need to virtue signal to everybody who's watching out there to let them know how woke we truly are. Now, Ed Setzer probably wouldn't consider himself woke, and I wouldn't consider him that way either, but I would say the one thing he's trying to do here is is earn unearned moral superiority because of his stance on, on COVID. And so he's getting a short-term reward for it because he's going to get those people who are absolutely in the COVID hysteria camp to applaud him. And, and those who are on the left side of the progressive aisle very often to applaud him. Meanwhile, not taking into account the real facts on the ground, which are natural immunity, which is the fact that even if you are vaccinated, you're probably getting it. So again, I just go back to this idea. Like if you're really loving your neighbor because you don't want them to get Omicron, what if you are vaccinated and you still give it to somebody? Does that mean all of a sudden you didn't love them enough and you better go get five boosters and a tramp stamp just so that you can show how holy and good you are? Of course, this is not what true love is, but perhaps there's something also too at the end of the day that that needs to be stated. So I'll go back to the article and read just just one more little section of it because I think that this is something that that needs to be said. In short, when it comes to leveraging high evangelical offices to influence everyday Christians, arguably no one is better positioned than Ed Setzer. You may not know his name, but if you're a church-going Protestant, it's almost guaranteed your pastor does. So here's the real thing that I think is the issue at the end of the day. Ed Setzer is entitled to his opinion. He's entitled to have whoever he wants on his podcast. He's even entitled to bad interpretation if he wants to promote that kind of thing. But here's the real problem. Ed Setzer may not be some great cultural icon that a lot of people know, but your pastor probably does know who he is. And so what Ed Setzer is doing here is probably an indication that this idea, this notion, this this temptation, if you will, to shine your halo, to virtue signal, and to try to win cheap points from the culture is more mainstream in Christianity than ever before. Now, this is an alarming trend. At least it is for me. I hope it is for you too. Christianity has always been good at a couple of things. It's been really good about declaring reality and declaring objective truth. It's been good at declaring the necessity of an objective standard. It's been good at rational arguments, even though those who are atheists are not going to think so. Um, But it doesn't change the fact that, that Christians among all religious communities have been very, very good and prolific at intellectual arguments for the existence of God. I mean, you think about people like William Lane Craig and, and, and others. Suffice to say, we've, we've been really, really good at stuff throughout history. One of the things we've been really exceptionally good at is resisting cultural notions and cultural trends and resisting the, the influence of corrupt bureaucrats and corrupt power upon the church. The church has not always, but has at times stood as a beacon of light in the midst of darkness. And this is true throughout scripture, at least. You can see prophets and and men of God and apostles withstanding those in power to the face and saying, no, no, we will not be your puppets. We will not be manipulated by you. We will stand for the truth. And so it is really disturbing when it becomes mainstream for evangelical leaders to be manipulated into COVID propaganda. So hopefully I've shown today that 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 is actually what's taking place, because if you actually care about the data and you actually care about the facts and you would care about scripture, you would come away with a different interpretation of what it truly means to love your neighbor in the midst of all of this. It probably wouldn't have anything to do with the vaccine, and it probably would have something to do with those who have lost loved ones to COVID or those who um, right now are, are are struggling with the label of being a misinformationist um, and castigating those people and casting them aside when people like me have only extolled the virtues of natural immunity and tried to tell you from the very beginning that misinformation is a COVID cudgel to try to get you to do what people want, and the church cannot afford to fall for that extortion. 
And so I'll just say this. As far as Indie Thinker is concerned, and as far as I'm concerned, what I hope you'll always get is an informed and honest opinion. One that's tried to do as much research as I can, tried to be as honest as I possibly can, and, and tried to offer that to you. Not that I will always be right. Not that I will always hit, hit the nail on the head with the hammer, but that I will try to do my best to offer an unmanipulated opinion. You'll never get a puppet from Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. You, I won't always be right, but you will never get a puppet. You won't get somebody that just toes the line or does what the status quo says for the purposes of virtue signaling and trying to get your uh, your brownie points. What I hope you'll always get from me is the unadulterated truth, even, even if you don't like it. And again, free thinking is not agreeing with people. It's just making sure that you have an informed opinion and that you've come to that opinion honestly. And, and again, that's what I hope you will always get here from Indie Thinker. And I hope that's what we can get back to as a society, where we're no longer trying to, you know, bicker back and forth with each other, where we're no longer undermining social institutions that objectively have been a great good throughout history, but that we're actually trying to understand that if we're going to, if we're going to truly undo the downward spiral that we're headed in now, we're going to have to agree upon some basic facts. And I'll say it as I always say it. If you're going to do so, I would think you need an objective standard by which to do it. And religious communities, specifically the evangelical Christian community and Christian communities writ large, understand the importance of an objective standard because we value scripture. And it is where we can find shared values that we can agree upon. Now, I know that's a hard sell in our secular society today, but if we continue to experience the aches and the pains of a postmodern society that leans further and further left, then we might have to understand that the cure for some of that stuff is moving back to the ideas, the virtues, and the truths that found their roots in Christian scripture. Nonetheless, I'll just step back and say this. If you do feel that over-inching, over Uh, arching urge or um, tendency to think that you're not sure where we're headed and you're not sure it's in a good place, I'll just encourage you to do this. Like, share, and subscribe. Well, that's all we have for today. Thanks so much for watching. We'll catch you next time. You can catch brand new episodes of Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman every Monday and weekly bonus episodes to keep you thinking throughout the week. But you have to subscribe and click the bell to be notified when new episodes drop. If you enjoy this content, make sure to like this video and share it with friends.